is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley, and our focus today is the new documentary, Uppity. It tells the story of auto racing's Jackie Robinson. Despite being one of the most talented young drivers on the racing scene in the late 70s and early 80s, Willie T. Ribs had to deal with engine sabotage, unwarranted suspensions, even death threats during his racing career. The establishment did everything in their power to keep this great driver down, but Ribs was never one to back down from a fight. He would go on to become one of the winningest drivers in the history of the Trans Am Series. He shattered the color barrier in professional racing by becoming the first black man to race in the Indy 500. Adam Carolla and Nate Adams tell Willie T. Ribs' story, and Nate's with us in studio today, along with Willie T. Ribs. Let me start with you. Why were you guys interested in this story? Well, we met Willie. Uh, Adam and I were doing a previous documentary on Paul Newman and his 35-year racing career, and Willie was one of the amazing pieces of research that we found uh, because Willie got his professional start in racing in America via Paul Newman. And so when we did the doc, we had knew that we had to interview Willie. And so we went out and I interviewed Willie in Texas at his ranch. And when I interviewed him, I came right back and I said, Adam, we have to do a doc on Willie T. And, and frankly, like once Adam and I kind of dove into the story and Adam met Willie, both of us, both of us had the same conclusion, which was how has no one ever made this documentary yet? How are we the first ones who are like, this has to be made? So that was, you know, and, and the rest has been history, and we've become very close with Willie, and he's he's an amazing person. Why is it unique that you were someone in the racing community? Well, at the time I started, uh, you know, my dad raced cars when I was a kid. Actually, he raced motorcycles, and then he started racing sports cars. But, you know, we had a family business that my grandfather founded in 1927 that was very successful, so he couldn't, he raced as a hobby. And so I started traveling with him when I was young, and I I decided at nine years old what my career was going to be, and um, and you know I was up in my grandfather's ranch and and driving his vehicles around, and and by the time I got out of high school, it was I was planning my trip to start my career in England because I wanted to be a Formula One driver. And I didn't want to be in NASCAR or IndyCar at the time. I eventually wanted to go to IndyCar, but I wanted to start with Formula One. And uh, it worked. It real. It, we did well. I won my first championship there. I met Muhammad Ali there at the same time. And um, that, was, that was the beginning. For our audience as well, break down the difference between NASCAR driving, Indy driving, and Formula One driving, because not everyone may be familiar. Well, NASCAR and IndyCar are predominantly in the United States. And uh, they're, as a matter of fact, uh, IndyCar is up in Canada. Uh, NASCAR is mainly a, a southeastern sport, and um, with its own demographic, IndyCar is all over the country in some parts of the world. Formula One is the NFL of auto racing. There's nothing even close to it. To For the driver in Formula One, who's Lewis Hamilton, uh, who happens to be black, uh, his salary is $50 million a year. That's how big Formula One is. Their budget, uh, and he races for Germans, he races for Mercedes, uh, their budget a year is 
400 million. IndyCar, the biggest IndyCar budget might be 30 million. That's how big. Uh, and NASCAR might have a budget of about the same. Formula One is just on a, a totally different planet. You started your career 1977 in England. When did you drive the Indy 500? In 91. I came back to the United States and, and I didn't. And I was, when, when I was in England, when I was in Europe, I was a racing driver. That's how I was uh, viewed. When I came back to the United States, I was a black racing driver. And the, 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 bear, it, it, the, the red carpet wasn't rolled out despite my success over there. So, you know, from the people I met, uh, Jim Truman, for example, then Paul Newman, um, and Muhammad Ali was quite a mentor, but he didn't finance it. It was, it was really Truman, then Newman, and then it was Mr. Cosby who spent the money to put me in the Indy 500. If it wasn't for Bill, I would have never been in the Indy 500. He spent $9.5 million on my career. Your career has led you to encounter certain challenges as a driver here in the United States versus being a driver in Europe. Um, what happened and how did you deal with it? Well, uh, there was two different elements I had to deal with. Corporate America wasn't very supportive. The, the manufacturers, General Motors, et cetera, they, they, they had no interest in, in supporting what, what, uh, what I was doing, despite being a, being a winning race driver. Race, winning is winning. They, they didn't care whether I could win or not. I was a black driver. And so um, that was one. Of, on the track, you know, there was death threats, of course. There was the N-word, of course, and I loved that. I loved it. It was just, that was very motivating to me. And, and, and I had my fair share of uh, fistfights. And after the last fistfight, I had no more problems. I take it you were the last man standing. Uh, oh, yeah. No, they, they got it after that. And that's how I was raised. And, you know, there's right and there's wrong. And when you're in the right, you don't turn the other cheek. And you don't back down. And uh, that was the, the element I was doing. But in, uh, by and large, I was very well respected in the sport because I was fast and because I could win. Where did your drive come from to want to be and succeed as a Formula One driver? Well, I mean, I was exposed to it. One of the upsides I had is that my dad knew, my, all my dad's friends were racing drivers, and I was exposed to the sport. And As so, a kid, yeah. As a kid. So I, I, knew the play, I knew the playbook to start and, and where to begin and... And, and I was successful in that way. Um, I think uh, the Formula One people in Europe were very fascinated that they had never seen a black driver before. And, and, and Bernie Ecclestone, who by far is the biggest human being that ever was involved with the sport of auto racing, period, Bernie... Uh, saw that and uh, and he he went out of his way to introduce himself and to say to me I'm following you I'm following you and uh, I didn't get that same here back in the United States it wasn't until uh, I met Jim Truman and he owned Red Roof Ends 
uh, hotel. So he had a lot. He had he had a lot of money and capital to move me along. And then from there, Paul Newman uh, saw my my speed and my talent. And it's one thing to go fast. It's another thing to go fast and not crash. And I didn't make many. I didn't make any any mis- mistakes. And um, and then Newman recommended uh, Anheuser Busch uh, to put me in a, in, in a, in a team that was well, well done and, and had the technical resources for me to win. And, uh, and Newman told Budweiser, this is what I would like you to do. And then Newman called me and says, I've got a deal for you if you want it. And you Out said yes. of the, yes. He says, I recommend it. He says, and I said, well, if you recommend it, I'm going to do it. It was a done deal before he called me. Why does it take so much money to be competitive in this sport? The mechanical side is millions of dollars, the cars, and you need more than one. So, for example, an IndyCar, just IndyCar, each car is $400,000. That's just a chassis. So you need two or three of those. Then you need an engine package, uh, and to do an engine package is another $2 million a year. A year. And then... Of course, you've got crew costs, and you've got you've got air uh, and other components that go along with it. So, uh, by the time you know you add it all up, with crew costs and technicals and R and D and testing and all that, you're at uh, twelve to fifteen million dollars. He and 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 Bill he. You know, and Bill is doing time right now, and rightfully so. But I'm going to tell you this. If it wasn't for him, I would have never been in the Indy 500. Never. And he knew it, and that's why he did it. He did, He didn't like racing at all, He, but he liked me. You talk to him still? Oh, yeah. How's he doing? He's doing okay. Tell me about the title of the documentary. <laughs> and I'm talking about the six letters oh, in yeah. front of the yeah, phrase, so, the well, Willie T. Rib story. Yeah, this is a story in and of itself. Adam and Willie and I were together, and we were talking about, you know, what are we going to call this thing? And Willie said, look, there's only one title, and go, I'll let you finish this, Willie. Yeah, we were in the office, and we just started filming, and it was about 11 o'clock at night in L.A., and they asked the question, and I said, there's only one title for that. And I said, it's uppity And Adam and Nate looked, stared at each other and just dropped their heads. <laughs> they dropped their heads and said, no. And Adam said, Sharpton to be marching out in front of my studio if we do that. I said, I'm just kidding. I said, but we got to go with uppity. I said, that we have to go with. We can't go with the rest, which is what, what they called you, is right? Is what, it's they, what called they called me behind his back. All the time. And when you see the doc, when you see the film, this is coming from white men saying he was called that. That was his, that was his name. We didn't call him by it. He was called the N word. Everybody did. Because you were in a space where they perceived you did not belong. Exactly. I was not supposed to be there. And I kept jamming and, and I, to a large degree, I provoked it. I said, you don't like me. I'm going to make you like me worse I don't want you to like me but you're going to respect me and you're good at what you do and you were exactly one of my favorite lines in the documentary is 
you know, there's a few things that I, I want to clarify because I think people may not understand is when Willie won the Formula Ford Series in England, that's an open wheel car. That's like a, what, an, what you would see in your mind when you think of an Indy car or a Formula One car. What he was given the job from Paul Newman is a Trans Am car, which in your mind would look like a NASCAR. Right. They're not the same cars. They're very difficult. Most people never drive both series because they're not capable of doing both. They're, they're completely different cars to drive, completely different skill set. But he jumped right in the Trans Am car and he started winning almost immediately. I think he won like his third race. He won, started winning almost immediately. And he, you know, the, 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 just the pure driving skill that he had had to aggravate people in the series. And the thing you also have to understand, which you get a lot more clarity of in the documentary is, you know, He's he's the only black person there in the crowd, anywhere. There, you know, he he just did. You know, he's completely on his own, and no diversity. You couldn't bring diversity on your crew or anything like no, that. I mean, no, I mean, his brother was with him, and there were people there, but not not. You know, it was just a it, just racing is what it is. It's like hockey, you know, whatever. I mean, it is what it is. At and at that time, that's what it was, and. But he was such a good driver, and and my favorite line in the documentary that he has is because he won a lot of races. One of the, he's one of the winningest Trans Am drivers in the history of the series. And he said, "If you don't want me in your sport, then beat me." And that was uh, to me, it's it was great. But it was a time where these drivers, you know, all the sponsors wanted you to toe the line and shake your head and be this, you know, guy. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. No, sir. And that just. That that wasn't him, and he just was what he was, and and, and people didn't want him to be that. If a woman, if a, if a woman race driver today was treated the way I was treated, there would be a congressional hearing. Mm. They they they'd shut the sport down if if by today's standards. And my mother always said, "Well, you're 25 years too soon," but at the time I did it, I mean. It's not happening now, other than Lewis Hamilton. Right. Lewis and Willie T. Ribs are the winningest drivers of color in history. How do you train to be that good, that successful? Well, I mean, the physical part, you know, I did. I've always stayed in great physical condition. But to drive a racing car is is you have to have a... a, a of course, great depth perception, your vision's got to be good, and you have to have great feel. I mean, your ass is the closest thing to the ground when you're driving. Even when you're driving your, your streetcar, your hands are up here and your butt's down there, and you have to have a great feel for what that car's doing. And anybody can drive 250 miles per hour in a straight line. It's driving through that corner at 220 that makes you a race driver. And knowing how to get through that corner and not crash, and have the feel to be able to to make adjustments or tell your your engineers, this is what I'm feeling, and this is how it can be better. And um, and and I was lucky because I understood all that as a kid because I'm all I'm around race drivers, and all they're talking about is technical, technical, technical. And if any of these kids young kids today won a race and they ask me, I tell them, 
you must understand the technical side. You must, you got to understand that. And once you understand that, if you got the requirements to, to understand and drive quickly, um, you'll, you'll be successful. What other advice do you have for young men who want to be like you? You've, you've set the, set the pace as we could say, and, and created a lane where others can compete with the resources. What do you tell those young people who are inspired by you? I tell them that you must get the money. If, for example, if LeBron James or Michael Jordan, and I'm going to use those guys because they're both near, well, one's a billionaire and one's close to being a billionaire. You, people talk about advancement. Well, advancement's a great word, but advancement without capital is going nowhere. You, you, Ron Dennis created the playbook for a young black kid to become world champion. Ron Dennis was owned a racing team already. He was McLaren. He had a lot of money, and he saw a young black kid named Lewis Hamilton driving go-karts at 12 years old, and he said, I think this kid has got what it takes. And Ron Dennis took his own money and mentored that kid all the way into Formula One. He spent millions of dollars to develop his skill from one level because, you know, it's like high school, college, pro. That same with auto racing. you got to go up these levels like I did. And, and Dennis supported it, and he became world champion for McLaren and Ron Dennis. And then Mercedes wanted to become successful again, and they hired Lewis Hamilton. And he's five-time world champion now. So it takes that. It can be done. But unless these kids have the right, the right program to take them step, right steps and, uh, and, and listen to the right people to guide them, then it's just not going to go anywhere. Nate, yeah. what do you want uh, viewers to take away from the documentary, Getting Willie's Story? Uh, the most important thing I want people to take away is you know, what, what he overcame to do what he did. And that it's really important. Uh, his story is, you know, what he did was extremely. Because getting into auto racing, like you know, we've just, we've talked about there's a, there's a financial barrier, there's a skill. You know, he's not going to talk about his own skill set, but there's there's an extreme. You have to have a probably a one percent of one percent as far as reflexes go to be that good of a driver. You know, it's just not something that everyone has. As you said, you did say you you did not crash often. He no. never crashed, almost never, which is very rare. Almost every driver has a major crash that almost kills them if they've raced any length of time. And he raced almost 20 years, you know, 20 years and never really had a super serious crash, which is very unusual. Um, but, you know, I, I want people to understand what he overcame, the barriers that he broke through, the... The biggest thing is what he was able to do with subpar equipment. He was almost never given the be good, you know, in the in the, on the entire time he raced in IndyCar, you know, like literally he would go in with a his budget, his team budget was five hundred thousand dollars, and other teams was six million. You know, it's you can't you can't compete in that. It's not it's not a a, a sport where you just need a ball and you you know you got a good pair of shoes and a ball and you can go do it football, baseball, basketball. 
it's not the same thing. You must have a very expensive team around you. You must have the absolute best equipment available or, or you cannot compete. I mean, separate from Willie, even as I was doing this, like I've gotten to know a lot of the drivers in the Indy 500 and I was talking to a guy who's won the Indy 500 four times and I was like, how are you going to do this year? And he goes, I don't, he goes, I don't, I don't have the car. I can't win. Mm. And, and I mean, this is a guy on a team that's millions and millions of dollars, but even he knows he doesn't have the car, so he can't win. And here's a guy who has 10% of the car the other guys have, and he's still competing. And winning. Yeah. That's, how are you, how are uh, you I didn't not... win an Indy car. I won in everything else, but I didn't win an Indy car. And, and despite Bill's money, they were still, they were outspinning. We had, we had probably 20% of what they had. And, you know, there's a, there's a saying in auto racing, if it takes 1,000 components to win and you're at 999, you're at a disadvantage. And it's re- it's unfair in that way because no matter how great a driver is, some drivers have been very talented and never win anywhere because they didn't they didn't have they they couldn't show it. So against the odds, folk didn't want you there. You competed and continued to be successful. One of the winningest drivers in the history of the Trans Am series. Were you ever bitter about the way you were treated? And if no, why not? No, I. in hindsight, I'm upset at, at corporate America. Not at the drivers and the teams, because they were trying to win and I was trying to win. And, you know, they, they, they they wanted to beat me and I wanted to beat them. I can understand. And they had their own biases as to why they wanted to beat me. But corporate America is supported by tens of millions of African Americans in this country. Tens of millions. And they put billions and billions and even trillions into their, into this country's uh, Economy, corporate. Yeah. Yes. And corporate America said, we know who you are and we don't care and we know that uh, we're not worried about it. We're not worried about it. What are you doing with yourself these days? Well, I'm... Besides telling your story in Uppity, the Willie T. Rib story. I'm, I love that title. I travel with my son. My son is a, actually a trailblazer in his own right. He's a champion shooter. He shoots a shotgun for a living. He's K-Cup national champion two years ago. He beat 3,300 guys to win that championship. 3,300. So he's, he's a very, uh, he's a great shooter. He's been shooting as a career since he was nine years old. As a matter of fact, we will be in London in two weeks for the world championship. And he tried, and I thought when I quit racing, I was going to, you know, just stay out on the ranch and, uh, and run a tractor. And I'm traveling as much with him now as I did when I was racing. And he's, he's in, he's all over the world. He's in Italy, he's in Cyprus, he's in Dubai, he's in Germany, France. I mean, he's, so I I love what he's doing and he's good at it. And, he, and more importantly, he has an ambition. And I think all kids, every kid, my grandpa, if you didn't have an ambition, uh, he put his foot in your butt until you found one. You had to have an ambition. Well, clearly your son comes from great genes and has that 
ambition and drive to succeed and to win. So how can folks, how else might viewers be able to see this this great documentary that you and Adam Carolla have put together? We are going to release it in September or October. You can pre-order it on our website, which is chassis.com, C-H-A-S-S-Y.com. And it's an incredible film. We've literally got nothing but standing ovations and, and wet eyes from, you know, it's, it's a very powerful film. Indeed it is. The film is Uppity, the Willie T. Ribs story produced and directed by Adam Carolla, Nate Adams, who is here, also Mike August, and of course featuring the star of the film, the man of the hour, Willie T. Ribs. So good to spend some time with you. Great story. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, condo 29 on Twitter or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.